0: Hello everybody and welcome to Coffee and Geography and this is an absolutely very special episode as I am on location at the forum in Norwich for Norwich Science Festival 2023. So to describe the scene for you all, so I'm currently standing on the upper tier of the forum and the forum is um, it was originally called the Millennium Forum. The Millennium Library is part of it. Um, as you can imagine, it was built for um, the Millennium, so for around the 2000s. And it is a great giant glass structure. If you look at the, uh, the ceiling, it's got a curved almost like wing sail shapes on the ceiling. It's glass and from the sun is coming through into my right-hand side. As I look towards the front of the forum, we have the, the BBC... Uh, Radio Norfolk and BBC Look East offices, to my right and to my left you have some more offices and buildings, we have a Pizza Express and a Marzano. The main area, the main floor down below me, the atrium, is just a giant exhibition space and it's all hustling and bustling here at the moment and we have lots of stores set up from various scientific organisation agencies, we have um, the University of East Anglia, uh, well, I'm out helping out today they've got a volcano exhibition but they've also got other things going on like psychology and medicine and biotech and you've got folks from the Quadrum Institute and the Johnning Center research it's just there's just so much going on here so hopefully as I walk around and I talk to folks we get a flavor of what these kind of things are there's tons of people around us there's, there's parents and uh, families with their push buggies and there's just loads and loads of young people of all ages just getting Really into uh, what's going on here. So, yeah. So let's have a walk around. Let's have a chat with folks and uh, and see what we can find out about the Norwich Science Festival. Welcome to Coffee and Geography, where my guests and I geek out about the world and everything on it, discovering that we are all geographers in some way, shape, or form. I am your host, Kit, and my pronouns are they/them or she/her. So settle down with a brew, hit that subscribe or follow button, and enjoy the listen. Right, so I'm here with um, a colleague of mine from the UEA events team, the University of St England events team. Bronte, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good, thank you. How's it going? Um, it's actually been very busy. Um, today's a little bit quieter than Monday, which was the last time that I worked. Um, I think a lot of people are coming every single day, which is really good. Seeing some of the same faces, which is nice.
0: So... So let's have a look around at the people that have gone past your desk then. So what kind of people have we got coming in? I mean, any particular age group, all sorts?
1: Um, there is quite a bit of a range, but I would say mostly it's younger children, um, probably from age about 5 to 12. Amazing. Um, they all seem super interested in the lanyard. As We're going through packs <laughs> and packs of them. Yeah. Um, they've got a little fun activity, collecting little cards at different desks and it's an opportunity to interact with um, different tables and see what's going on so yeah it's a really good incentive
0: yep so uh there are i've been to the norwich science festival uea purple lanyard Absolutely beautiful thing i've got too many uea lanyards so i'm not going Same. to uh, to uh, tea leaf this one but uh, yeah, I think it's a great idea. Those little kind of cards that they snip to their lanyards—that kind of like have a take-home message. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you for helping, all your help and everything like that, and getting people to experience Norwich Science Festival. Uh, lovely to speak to you. Nice
2: speaking you. to you. And to so, who would like
0: to so, as an ex-jogging teacher, the first stall I'm drawn to is one with a giant map and little things that you can put to it. Because um, I'm here at the uh, Tropic stall here, so how are you doing this morning? Very
3: well, thank you. Um, what would you like to know?
0: So yeah, tell us a little bit about who uh, Tropic is and or um, well, what you do and what hopefully you're going to you're trying to get people to learn today.
3: So at Tropic, we're based in Norwich, and what we do is gene editing on coffee, banana, and rice, trying to find different cra- traits to improve food security and make food production more sustainable.
0: And I'm guessing here that. You've got a very interactive stall here. You've got all these different things with this, uh, so where people can put, yeah, yeah. And then you've got some sheets here with some uh, genetic charts. So, so, give us an example. I say, okay, let's take bananas. So, take, some, give us an idea about how we might genetically modify bananas in order to help with food security.
3: So, with bananas is actually one of our main crops, and there is a there is a fungal pathogen that is pretty much tearing through all of the commercial banana plantations because. Fun fact, all the bananas that we eat in this country and any place where bananas don't grow naturally are all genetically identical. They're a type called Cavendish. And uh, Cavendish bananas are at risk of going extinct because of this fungal pathogen. And what we try to do at Tropic is go in and introduce single-base edits to make them resistant to the pathogen so that we don't need to change all of the shipping, the boxes... And the flavour of the commercial banana, mm.
0: and this is this is the risk of um, homogenizing, homogenizing any foodstuffs. Yeah, because you get a single disease, variant yep. fungus, whatever pest, it and could it wipe can out devastate the, in- the pipeline. Absolutely, because I mean, I don't know if the top of your head, if you know, do you like in the na- natural world how many different varieties of banana there truly is? I mean, a
3: lot.
0: Uh, I'm hundreds, guessing there's more over than over just the Cavendish. Blimey. and then not, not yeah. all yellow and curvy. I take it no, either. Some yeah. are
3: red, some are blue.
0: Oh, blue yep. bananas. That sounds awesome. Tastes like ice cream. Yep. Oh, right. I need to seek out this blue banana. It's my <laughs> mission in life now. Well, thank you very much. And thank I you. hope the rest of the festival goes well for you.
3: Thank you very much. Have a lovely day. Can you taste it? Does
4: taste it? <laughs> so it tastes nice?
3: Can you taste anything?
4: Can you taste it?
2: Right, okay. So we're just interpretation. So I tasted something. You tasted that one. I so this is really interesting actually because you're a non-taster, okay? So, um, it doesn't mean you haven't any have taste. You haven't taste. You have taste. Yeah. <laughs> not being rude. Um, so, but it's a non-taster. But this is a super taster. Okay, so you can taste all of them. That was your control. Yeah. Um, so, it'd be interesting if you got the children. Um, I'm not quite sure yeah, they were quite think
4: right. I think, your, I think maybe the one, second one, one yeah.
2: <laughs> the, the,
4: the middle two, in
2: particular. Like
0: <laughs> they were just... That's a sweet
2: one. one. Oh, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Was the last one the sweet one? The last one was the sweet one.
0: So, so I'm here at the uh, big C cancer charity store in the marquee uh, Mel, I just saw you do something really interesting here with some uh, with a family here about taste testing. can you tell us a little about what was going yeah, on there yeah sure so we've
2: got this taste tester here so some people can taste a lot stronger than other people and you call them a super taster so it is it is it's a genetic test mm-hmm. so you can inherit um, one particular gene from your parents and some from your well, uh, one from one parent, one from the other, and it really determines whether you're a strong taster, which is a dominant taste, a non-taster, mm. but you, you can still taste but not as strong, or a mild taster. So these ones here, we're just we're looking at these various different chemicals, and we have a control there as well. It all depends which ones you can taste and how strong you can taste them, as to whether we can determine what uh what sort of genetic
0: makeup you are, if Ooh. you like. And so, what implications does this have for, say, things like cancer and other ailments?
2: Yeah, so that's a really good question. So, I think um, when you have cancer and you're going through treatment, um, or even through, you know COVID as well, mm. where a lot of people lost their taste, um, you can you can lose your taste quite significantly and your smell. So, um, what what happens? Or perhaps what happens if you're if you've got uh, if you're more a super taster, you perhaps it doesn't affect you quite as much. Right. But okay. we do have this book here which we've produced with Life Kitchen. It, what, what we're looking at there is, is creating actually really quite cheap meals, but with intense flavours in oh, them. Oh, wow, okay. Yep. So um, hopefully with patients who are going through chemotherapy, for instance, these will help them to at least taste something.
0: Wow, um, okay. Yeah. And it's, so, it's that luxury of life that people don't take for granted, I guess, as well.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think it is. And I think COVID has really highlighted that, where people lost their sense yeah. of smell and taste and, and realised how how miserable that is really
0: well yep. I'll probably i'll speak for all parents and grandparents and say i probably will be a little bit more appreciative of when kids say i don't like that well, i yeah, like that yeah, and they, yeah. Yeah, from now on yeah. okay thanks for talking to me mel right.
2: thank you thanks for
0: coming. so the other thing the big c have got here i've uh there are two members of staff two members of staff dressed up as the poo emoji and uh yeah and there's a giant inflatable bum so i'm just going to go through this big bum, and I'm going to see what is inside. So, let's have a let's have a look. Oh, it's a bit of a squeeze, isn't it? Oh, crikey! Oh, and inside the big bum, we have more poo emojis. <laughs> oh wow, awesome! So, what we've got here, we've got an interactive experience. We've got um, things about the bowel. So there's a fact here that says the large bowel is 1.5 metres long and consists of the senum, colon, rectum, and anal canal. And its function is to turn liquid waste into poo and absorb any remaining nutrients and water in the body needs. This is such an amazing space. I mean, like, they're inflatable whatnot, and you can feel them, touch them, see what they look, in massively large scale, as big as your head. Uh, So as we're going through the, the inflatable big one there, we see how these cells are developing... And we get so yes, yeah, so and we can see how these cells have multiplied and developed, and they're really starting to become big and a big of an issue here. So, I've just come out of the big bum and seen some very frightening cancer <laughs> cells and and developments in there. And now we've come out and we have um, you dressed up as one of the poo emojis, which is amazing. <laughs> um, but uh, so we've got a display here. We've got a model of the colon, and uh, yes, yeah, to talk to us a little bit about what that. You're hoping the visitors get out of that experience, and then when they yeah. come to you at the store, what, what they what we're, happens we're next? We're
1: all nurses in the endoscopy unit at the Quadrum Institute in Norwich, and that's just over the road from the Norfolk and Norwich. Um, I'm one of the bowel cancer screening nurses, so I'm in. I'm one of the nurses who look after patients who come every two years, so they have a poo test. Um, but that doesn't start till age 56 at the moment.
0: Right, so anyone
1: can have a poo test from their GP and then come in for a colonoscopy with us.
0: And we keep hearing that time and time and then, don't we, that there are certain age, risk age groups and stuff like that, but there is never, if you've ever got any concerns or anything like that, get yourself yeah, tested yeah. no matter what. Too to never too tested. young to be tested. It's
1: less likely to be cancer if you're younger. It's more prevalent in 50, 60, 70-year-olds, yeah. but people get it in their
0: 30s. And how many times have we heard people say, I'm glad I caught it early?
1: Yeah, exactly. This is a very curable cancer. So, if we catch it early, it shouldn't affect your lifespan. We yep. can remove it, and in most cases, we can rejoin the bell
0: and what I really love here is that it's it's interactive and fun so we've got kids here at the table they're yes. having a go at the <laughs>
1: pictures of poo pictures
0: of poo and the stuff like that and it's just really really it's it's great and um, this is the best way that's what's great about the science festival is how it brings these very serious issues that we need to be aware of but makes them fun, makes them up you know and tangible. And get the yeah. kids to learn something about it. And
1: it dispels the fear of colonoscopy. For the adults as well. <laughs> yeah, <yes. laughs> very. Yeah, well,
0: I've just been through a giant bum, so you know, I think. That's, yeah, uh... <laughs> there
1: you go. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome.
0: So, also in the uh, marquee, we have um, Vattenfall. So, and I'm joined by Will. So, how are you doing, Will? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Good. We met before when you were at a careers event. Yes. Didn't we at, Nor- yeah. at the um, Norwich City Football Club, and uh, so you're here quite often. These things. So, first question, I guess, I ask you then is why is outreach and talking to the public like so important for companies like Vattenfall.
5: Yeah, definitely. That's a really good question. And yeah, why we're here today engaging with lots of younger people. We've been here the whole week and here for the rest of the week of the Science Festival. Um, yeah, so we've got two big wind farms in development off the Norfolk coast and making sure young people know that there's a huge number of different career routes um, and ways and like, different subjects that they can sort of get into the industry mm. as well.
0: Yeah, and um, so you've got just over to our Right, we have got um, the demonstration of how wind turbines work. Yeah, so yeah. they can change the, the blade angles, but change the number of blades. They can see how what generates the most amount of electricity. Behind you, yeah. you've got beautiful, beautiful picture of the North Norfolk coast. Yeah, one of my favourite places in the world. Um, and we know that there's tons and tons of wind turbines already out in the North Sea. Um, but yeah, it, it's this is a future industry. You know, we we in fact in one of the podcast episodes done very very recently with a bunch of uh, high school students yeah. for a UK school sustainability network. One of the students said, fossil fuels are out. You know, they're, they're a fading industry because they're finite. Yeah. So this is the future. So if you're, you've you got, we've got some teenagers here, we've got some really... So what would you say to these young people coming up to you and say, okay, like, well, how could this be a future for me?
5: Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, really sort of showcasing all the stuff we've got here. So even really interesting things like looking at some cable yeah, cross-sections. Yeah, you got some cable
0: cross-sections here, um, yeah.
5: And yeah, I think not a lot of people really sort of know the full scale of what's going on out there. So when we've got our projects finished by the end of the decade, they'll be producing the equivalent of four and a half million uh, homes worth of electricity. That's so, incredible.
0: Yeah. 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 And it's, and you look at these cables, I mean, well, A, they're heavy duty. <laughs> yep. I mean, like, so they've got three cores um, and they've got a surrounding core as well. I mean, I mean, it's not just electricity that goes through these, I, I take yeah, it. Yeah,
5: there's data going through there as well. So... All of the turbines, when they're out at sea, they they're collecting sort of wind speed information. Uh, people on land are communi- communicating back to them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, huge amount. Yeah, going on it just in the
0: cables. And there's a quite a big one, maybe with a diameter, yeah, fif- yeah, so fifteen centimetre diameter or something like that. But it says Aberdeen Offshore Wind Farm. Oh, 400 millimetre squared, 66 kilovolt inter yeah. power cable. Wow, I've out a juice going through that.
5: Yeah, there's been lots of lots of big numbers being discussed today. So being comparing it back to sort of our house is using 240 volts in the walls, and then these are carrying 66,000 volts. Um, That's the, amazing. The turbines, one rotation of a turbine can power a home for, for two days, the equivalent amount of electricity.
0: Amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And of course, folks... Um, we here in the UK are sport for wind, and uh, the last time I remember this fact, it might—I don't know if it's changed at all—but the last time I heard it, Britain has forty percent of Europe's wind resource.
5: Yeah, I'm not too sure on the stat, but it is. Yeah, but what, what we, we, have yeah we have a lot really of wind. We have a lot of wind. Yeah. <laughs> so last year, um, just over a quarter of our all of our electricity came from wind, yeah. both onshore and offshore. But yeah,
0: yeah, it's it's absolutely great. Well, thanks for joining me, Will.
5: No, thank you very much.
0: Right, so i um with some UEA students here, so hi Jake, so uh, Jake, tell us a bit about what you're uh, what you're doing at UEA and what you're doing here today at the Science Festival. So at UEA, uh, I'm studying uh, pharmacology
4: and drug discovery, which is essentially making new medicines and targeting proteins to
0: make new therapeutics. That's amazing. So on the table there in front of us where we've got the, the, the children interacting, we've got uh, your, your classic molecule models. Yeah. But you've got here some like lollipop sticks and, yeah. and so tell us, so what, what are you trying to teach the kids
4: here? So pretty much every table we've got is kind of a different, different stage in the drug discovery process. Right now what you're looking at is the actual putting together and synthesize, synthesizing the molecule to bind best it can into the protein structure.
0: Nice. So, so every lollipop stick, is that is is that a protein strand or what's uh, that represent? These, these
4: are the protein strands. Oh, okay. Yep. But the, the colored lollipop sticks represent the best functional group that would bind best to the amino acid in that protein strand so, Right. yeah it's pretty much just trying to conceptualize specificity of drugs and trying to make them bind the best that we can
0: and of course um it, in, in modern days with you know coming out of covid the age of covid and there's there's never been more of a focus on oh, on uh, stuff yeah. like this and it's and I, I tell you what just looking down your your stool jake and Wow, you have got your are absolutely packed here, full of young people and their families. It's it's pretty yeah. pretty incredible Thank stuff. You. So, what got you into pharmacology? I mean, what was your spark?
4: My spark, I mean, I'm, I really just want to um, cure disease. I think there's a lot of stuff that hasn't been treated right Ooh. now, and I'm I'm really interested in immunology and harnessing the immune system to attack disease, especially cancer. Yeah. So I just yeah I just want to I want to treat diseases. So I want I want to be involved in the process of making medicine. I feel Amazing. That's really interesting.
0: Well, keep up the great work, uh, uh, Jake, and hope the rest of the day goes well.
4: Cheers, thank you very much.
2: So,
4: is even the box 3D
0: printed as well?
2: Yeah, anything red, these guys designed and 3D
0: printed, and
1: then inside is a
2: microprocessor and all the
0: stuff they have to do to make it work. Inside the atrium, um, you walk into this this pod, this covered pod, and there is. sound booths, listening booths with headphones and on the wall next to these are like lovely beautiful poems and this is to do with a collaboration between artists and scientists about the secret life of ponds. I'm joined by Helen. Helen, so introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about the project.
6: Thank you, so my name's Helen Greaves and I'm a researcher at University College London but I'm also the strategic lead of the Norfolk Ponds project and so we've um, come here today and we've got a some information we we're trying to share with you through the secret life of ponds.
0: Yes absolutely, this fantastic collaboration between art and science. Yeah,
6: yeah so through this, um, so when we do the Norfolk Ponds projects, we we're all about restoring ponds in farmland and uh, when we do this we take away the trees again that have become overgrown on the pond and we dig out some of the um, old leaf litter that's in there. So Usually, we have a team of volunteers that would help us to do this, and but for this project, we got funding from Natural England and Arts Council England. So, we got instead three poets and three sound artists, and they came along completely out of their comfort zone, took part in the restoration. We taught them a bit about the science behind it, and they've gone away and created three pieces. So we've got them here um, today and we've got them all week and also it's on the Norfolk Ponds website. Yeah,
0: fantastic. I'll make sure that that goes in the show notes um, because I've mentioned it many times before in this podcast about the collaboration between arts and science. It's exceptionally important to make it accessible. We've got two uh, youngsters in here, like about my age of kids, so about like maybe eight, nine, ten. They're enjoying it. They're really getting immersed in it. Absolutely. So keep up the great work, Helen, and I'll make sure that people uh have a look at it via the show notes thank you one thing that's really good about the uh the norwich science festival is that they have um boards and posters up talking about um am i a scientist what is a scientist what does a scientist look like and so their profiles are a4 profiles of different people um talking about being a scientist so we've got uh just to give you some examples here so we've got uh, Melissa Salmon from Kent in the United Kingdom proud to be a mum friendly clever nerdy um, and I love cats and I've rehomed five cats it's moving to Norwich in 2003 so you know how is Melissa a um, scientist then you've got Miles Okay, proud to be black African introverted fun fact I've never broken a bone in my body before that's uh, something I can't attest to um, so Amelia Lovelace cock uh, Cockeysville, Maryland United States proud to be LGBTQA a feminist and introvert I have fun fact I have an identical twin so all these folks have some kind of scientific connection but these posters just give you the idea that you know there are humans behind uh, behind these folks there's pictures of people in their running gear um, in them getting in their wedding uh, ones in the dance troupe uh, someone's oh wow Mark Weber he's in in a very old stadium looking like a coliseum of some kind um which is pretty amazing the other thing i really love as well um i had the absolute privilege of um being part of some artwork um a documentary artwork by um rebecca osborne and Rebecca Osborne, it's a shame she's not here. I'd love to have had a chat with her, but I'm going to try and get her on the podcast anyway. But what she does, she documents um, activities and engagements and events through art and sketches. And so I'm currently looking um, at this one here. So Illustrating Science by Rebecca Osborne, The Science of Aging or Not. So this was a talk by... um, Dr. Jay Foden from Norfolk Norwich University Hospital, Mark Green from EBI and Trish Dent from the Wellbeing Wisdom with Trish. And so what Rebecca's done from left to right is she's done this beautiful documentation through sketch and text and just facts. It's great. I'm going to have to, I can't describe it. It's so good. So what I'm going to have to do is I'm going to have to uh, put a link in the show notes to some of Rebecca's work, but it's so, so, so good. It's so colourful and it's so vibrant and and, yeah, it's um, just another example of how you can mesh and meld um, artistry and creativity with the sciences. And, it, and I really, really do hope that you get some young people, you know, maybe they come into the forum and think, yeah, science, not kind of my thing, but they come away inspired because they see some kind of connection uh, in some way, shape or form with things that they are interested in. So, right next to the stall that I'm helping out today about volcanoes, um, I have here from the Sainsbury Laboratory, and I've got some beautiful tomato plants right in front of me. Um, Yeah, so, how are you? I'm good. So, uh, tell us who you are and uh, what you're doing here.
7: Um, My name is Adeline, and I'm a scientist at the Sainsbury Laboratory, and in front of you are not tomatoes.
0: Oh, good. So, learning things. So, tell me a bit more.
7: So, those are wild variety of nightshades. Oh. Now, what is cool about those is something people don't know. They are cousins of tomato.
0: That was why I was fooled. Exactly. Right? Well, I'm not going to be fooled twice. Could be a shame on me.
7: They are cousins of tomatoes, of potatoes, peppers, chili, all the same family. Oh. And the, those ones come from all over the world. Those are Australian. Those are Americans, and we use them in our lab to look for resistance against disease.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, and there's a there's a very, very big theme of Norwich Science Festival about safeguarding lives. In fact, I think you could set up almost anything here, and it's all about safeguarding lives and promoting people's lives for the better. So um, we've got some young people in front of us looking at pictures of plants, of flowers. So what are you hoping for? your visitors to to learn about when they come and visit your stall.
7: well the number one thing we want people to know is that plants actually can get sick right which is not something everybody think about indeed as yep. you can see on this one they on can get sick, a little bit
0: of light there yeah
7: and they have an immune system Ooh. like we do they actually can fight pathogens and that's why most of the plants you'll see outside are bright green and very happy but sometimes it doesn't work out. Ooh. And that's when we, we have to do something in the lab. Because in this case, tomato and potatoes are usually attacked by fungal pathogens or other disease. And one of the ones we work on in the lab is called Phytophthora infestans. It's the potato late blight.
0: This sounds scary.
7: It is something in the UK that causes a lot of damage on potatoes. Um, most gardeners will know it. It's a very famous disease. And somehow those white species are all resistant. Ooh. And because they're cousins, we're trying to study their genome to understand why those are resistant when potatoes just dies and give up.
0: That is so awesome. Well, thank you very much for, uh, for joining me and I uh, hope the rest of the day goes well.
7: Thank you. Have a nice day.
0: Hi folks, a chance for you to recharge your brew, but also a polite prod to remind you that it's so easy to support this podcast. Simply liking, sharing, rating and reviewing means that it will get on more people's radar. Also, there are a few links down in the description which may be of mutual benefit. Please do check them out. So I am talking to uh, David. Hi David from Hello. The University of Oxford. Would so you like to introduce yourself?
8: Hello, I'm David Pyle. I'm a volcanologist and I'm a professor of earth sciences at the University of Oxford.
0: So David, we have something here called the Imaginarium. Now of course, bear in mind that this is an audio only. Yes, yes. You've got to do your very, very best to describe what we've got in front of here. So this is the project that I'm supporting with uh, Professor Jenny Barkley and uh, podcast listeners will remember Jenny from a few episodes ago. Um, so tell us about the Imaginarium, and they've got to use their imagination yes. to picture it in their head.
8: Yeah, so we we wanted to come up with a, a role playing exercise or a scenario exercise to get people to think about what it, what it's like to live in a place, and then suddenly discover that there are things happening underground. And we've done this before in a kind of with a board game style activity, but what we wanted to design was an activity where the players, the people involved in the, in the uh, their scenario would actually be part of the landscape so Jenny's concept for an Imaginarium was basically a, a light up floor, so it looks a bit like a disco floor but in fact it's programmed yep. uh, so there's nothing random about it and we use the floor, it's, it, this representation is 3 metres by 3 metres so it's quite large and it's broken up into lots of little squares 81 squares in this and um, essentially, people choose to, where they're going to live on the island, near the sea, in a valley, in the high ground.
0: So what we've got. So we've got. So the island is represented by by effectively green squares. Or half a square. That's right. That, and yes. That, and then in this three by three um, area, it kind of like makes the shape roughly of an island, and then you've just got some blue bits around the edge of that, that represent the the sea or the ocean. So then people, then the youngsters can stand somewhere on that island to represent where they're living. Yes. Okay.
8: And um, people can talk about why they've chosen to live near the sea or in the hills, and then we reveal that it's actually a volcanic island. And so the next, the starting point of the scenario is that a A volcanic. One of the squares glows red, and that's a volcanic crater. And then as we go through the scenarios, we imagine the things that people living on the island might sense or detect. So the sorts of things you associate with moving of magma underground, causing earthquakes that cause shaking at the surface, um, where magma rises to a shallow point and gas starts to escape out of the volcanic crater. And then, of course, in a volcanic eruption, you then have magma from underground... Erupting and coming out of this as volcanic ash or lava or in pyroclastic flows.
2: Can you see something that's happened to some squares now? What colour have they gone? Oh, yellow! Yeah. Yeah.
6: Yeah. The yeah, 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 yeah. If your sand is on a square and it goes
2: yellow, that means you've been hit by gas. And if you get hit by gas during the game, David is very quick to help you, but he's very quick to take your disaster dollars too. So you will have to give him a disaster dollar of wealth if you end up on the square that is affected by that. David, help me, it smells like runnicks. I'm in a what's happened? Uh ah, oh! Uh oh! Kit has been starting on a pink square now. This is Ash. Same deal. If you end up on a square that gets affected by ash during the game, David'll help you, but David'll take
0: your money. So That's pretty impressive. Lucky. Yeah. So when we, so when we've been playing it so far, we've been doing it on the hour, every hour. It's been quite exciting, uh, and I love the fact that we have this extra element involved in it, where we have disaster dollars. Yes. Yeah, so so, w- so, what, what, so, what, so why are we using <laughs> currency
8: in in this? So what's the what was the idea of that? So we're just getting—we're just starting to get people to think about um, what it would be like if your, if your, the place where you'd grown up and lived, your house, your home, your community, was affected by a disaster. Um, it costs money to move, but it costs money to repair. Yes. And how do people weigh up the difficult decisions about? Well, there was just—we've just been affected by some volcanic gas, but. Do we think we're going to be all right and just repair and stay where we are, or do we want to actually leave everything behind and evacuate? Um, and so that's the disaster dollars. It's, it's a representation of the costs of repairing damage and the costs of moving.
0: Mm. And it just brings it to life because one of the things I've always, well, a lot of us geography educators have said is we, well, we have no problem in exciting young people in getting them inspired getting them motivated and things like that but what we do appreciate is is a lot of disconnect there's a lot of well that's something that happens in far from places and of course now we've got you know modern environmental issues climate change being one of them of course which is bringing this lot home and what I really love about this is that it it gets them active they're actually physically on this dance floor if you like they're interacting with it and they're invested so what you know what we've seen earlier with, with the youngsters and you know youngers you know, four or five years of age, up I mean, there's been some teenagers on there yes, as well, yeah. they're very invested in it, and actually, when they say, oh, I feel nervous, I feel worried, I feel, I feel scared, I feel excited, you know, they seem to be genuine emotions, and then that just enables this whole, you know, connectivity, because we've, we've just recently had the very tragic, of course, incident in Turkey and North Syria, and yeah, there's all the wow, the wasmatazz, the tectonic, you know, fascination of science, but sometimes we forget that there's a story behind all of these. Yes.
2: Ready? Trying to
8: do in talking to the um, the children who are taking part in this is to get them to think about why they've chosen to live where they've lived in the beginning, and it's been interesting that some of them have picked up on the. The reasons they, they chose to live near the beach because they, are run a, they were running a tourist business and yeah. their business did quite well through the eruption and they weren't affected by it and, um, and then contrast that with people who who were living somewhere else for yep. for historical reasons.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. There was one there was one game actually where one young youngster she said, oh, "I'm just happy I survived." So she she had you start they start off with ten disaster dollars. And she ended up with two, but she managed to move away and survive. And she was just happy she was still she was quote unquote still alive. Whereas there was all those youngsters on the coast with almost all their disaster dollars left. Yes. They're Like yeah, yeah we're yeah we're loving this. That's right. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yes. And it, yeah. It, it is a representation of, of what happens in real life, you know. And and of course a lot of these areas are very reliant on either their primary industries, with, in terms of farming, agriculture, or the tourism industry. Yes. Yeah. So.
2: But are back to thinking about the wonderful Volcanic Island where we live, who managed to do the game and lose and no disaster dollars, is that anyone? You guys will win! So you did quite a lot, yes. So, Still
0: got Delighted to be part of this project, and I'm really looking forward to um, helping to develop the education resources uh, to, from this. But, um, but yeah, what, what is our, what is our plans with the uh, the Imaginarium going forward? Because I know we have some. We're going to develop it further. We're hoping to get it into schools and getting it to travel around Oxford and Norwich. But uh, what's your hope for
8: uh, for its use in the future? So the so the one. Um location we're definitely taking it to. We're definitely taking it to London mm-hmm. in early July from July the 4th to the 9th. There's a, uh, a public exhibition in the Royal Society in London which is Pall Mall area. Excellent, you heard it here folks. Uh, so that'll be, that'll be open um, the whole weekend the 8th and 9th of July and it's, open for, it's open to the public and mainly to school groups for the week leading up to that. So we'll modify it a little bit for that space um, but it's definitely exciting to think about taking it taking it into into places to reach people who don't normally have a chance to visit a, a science festival for example
0: yeah. so folks, um, if you're interested in the Imaginarium, I mean you heard uh, Professor Jenny Barkley speak a couple of episodes ago, but if you want any further information then we will put it in the show notes and you can get in touch with uh, us at um, the University of Stanglia or the University of Oxford Thank you. So, thank you very much. Pleasure, thank you It'd be pretty silly of me to do a recording of the science festival. Not actually speak to a parent bringing their children here. So, <laughs> so um, how are you? Uh, how are you enjoying this uh, today with you, you and your little ones? How old are your little ones? Uh,
9: ten and six. Ten and, got and a six. A friend with us who's also
0: ten. Okay, so very pretty uh, decent age. yeah So my uh, eldest is eight, and my youngest is six. It's a bit of an overlap there. How have, uh, how have you felt that they've uh, found it? What's been their favourite part, do you think, so far? I mean, I've just done a bit of story time with the volcano. what
9: has been their favourite part. <laughs> <laughs> story time with the volcanoes. Um, yeah, really nice. It's nice to have someone talk to them, like, who knows how to talk to children. Uh,
0: oh, well, yeah, other, as I said before, other people's children, maybe. <laughs> yeah, um, But no, it's... Um, I mean, we, we, we hold this in Norwich uh, once every year, and uh, is this... A, is this do you live in Norwich? Do you come yeah, here regularly?
9: We we came, and we came to the farming day as well, which is really okay. lovely. That was great. Um, they really enjoyed birthing the lamb, milking the cow.
0: Um, yeah. What would you say to... So we have, mostly with this podcast, we have educators listening, but we do have folks listen because they're interested in geography and stuff like that. What would you say to parents or people with young children who, you know, they... What would you do to convince them to come to things like this, like the Science Festival? We have explosions going on in the background and everything.
9: It's great. It's free. There's loads of experts. There's lots of lovely interactive activities. Um, yeah, it's very inspiring for grown-ups and kids. There's a cafe as
0: well. <laughs> yeah, Well, that's important. Um, actually, yeah, I was going to say, uh, that we know what probably the kids were, but what what's been the one thing that you've enjoyed yourself? If you just be a little bit for me, yeah.
9: Um, I enjoyed learning about seaweed.
0: Cool. <laughs> the other day, Yep. that
9: was excellent.
0: Um, so, what was the apart apart from the fact that it actually can make very nutritious meals? What else, what else did you learn about seaweed? Just
9: talking about that, the you know the the plastic wrapping, right? The, the kind of it gives you a little bit of a sense of hope. I I knew about it, but it was nice hearing the more details.
0: Um, excellent. Uh, well thank you very much for giving me your time. You're
9: welcome, thank you. Sometimes the pressure might build up
0: gradually. So I am here with mini geographer Theo, who you folks may remember, talked to Lucy Eckersley in season one. Hey Theo, you alright? Yeah. Yeah, so are you enjoying the Norwich Science Festival? Yes. So what's what's been your favorite bit so far? What what's the bit that you've done that you really enjoyed?
1: Well I like the for us magma because it is really fun And I stayed on the same square for most of the game and didn't get
5: it
0: Yeah that was pretty cool wasn't it So that light up floor where and then we had earthquakes and mud flows and gas pockets And and uh, you had to. what did you have to do if you felt you had to move
1: You had to um, count the squares away from the place that you were trying to go and then give and then each each square cost a coin so you had to give that to the banker to move yeah
0: and the other thing we saw as well was um plants that grow up they grow vertically that was quite cool wasn't it yeah and we had to find what plant that was growing vertically what did we have to find
2: so look at this we
1: had to find there. the strawberry plant.
0: Yeah, it took us a while, but it sounded, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, it's lovely to hear from you again, Theo, and uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for chatting to us.
4: Welcome, Welcome. bye. And it's really difficult. I it's
0: a really big challenge. Um, well, uh, that was just a really little snippet. I mean, I've only here for a day out of a whole entire week, um, and there are so many people i didn't speak to but could have done. I mean there's a robotics stall uh where you can control a little robot. Um there's something about um medic- you know medicine and about parts of the body and how to how it works and it's just yeah, it's just amazing. And you heard yourself about what people are doing and what they're getting out of this and it's a shame I don't have uh, more time to get more people but I'll put everything in the show notes so you can have a look back and about what people have achieved here and if you're in the norwich area you know um make sure you get yourself to a norwich science festival in the future um or any kind of sort of thing in your area do look them up so that will be me from now i hope you enjoyed this little special episode on location at the forum in norwich and i will see you soon thank you so much for listening we hope you had fun If you haven't already done so, please subscribe so more stories and experiences can drop into your favourite podcast app. If you fancy being a guest or have any feedback, follow us on Twitter at coffeegeogpod and send us a DM. Or you could email geog at geogramblings.com. Until next time, keep geogging.